Hi, and welcome back to Tell Me More About That. I'm your host, Brianna Jacobson. On our second episode, we have Danielle Newman, a mental health counselor from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, on to talk about her personal and professional responsibility in the field. Her current work aims to provide mental health services that attempt to address historical trauma in a culturally and socially responsive way in the context of Milwaukee. Thanks for listening, and here's Danielle to give us more on her background. Um, so I kind of have known I've wanted to be like in this field, um, specifically as a counselor since I was like pretty young. Um, I kind of did like a career project on counselors or psychologists, kind of both. It was kind of all encompassing in like seventh grade. And that's sort of when I found out like, okay, I, this is the route I want to take. Um, And I kind of, you know, never looked back since. Um, So I went to school for my undergrad. I got my bachelor's of science in psychology. And then after that, um, I went on to get my master's of clinical mental health counseling, um, which specifically was like what I wanted. I wanted to do mental health counseling, um, you know, whether it be like in private practice and hospitals in doctoral settings, kind of anything like that was kind of my main goal. Um, The why really is, I guess, because when I was younger, um, I saw a counselor um, and a psychiatrist and everything. um, And I saw the way they helped me and helped other people. And I really just wanted to be able to do that as well and give back and be able to help others the way I was helped. What it means to uphold this profession is just a lot of it intersects with my own like personal values of, you know, advocating for others, especially those who um, can't always advocate for themselves or whose voices go unheard, um, sort of my responsibility to um, work towards creating a better, um, just and fair world um, really kind of intersects professionally and personally. Um, And just, I guess, kind of everything, you know, that the counseling field is about or that you learn it's about. Um, yes, it's about like helping others and stuff, but it's also about, like I said, advocating for people. It's about social justice. It's about, you know, kind of all of that encompassed into one, um, which has always kind of been my personal values too and my personal responsibility, I feel, especially um, as an educated white woman, for sure. Um, obviously, you know, the responsibilities surrounding like um, confidentiality and boundaries you have to um, keep those you know separate and it's always a work in progress to um, keep or attempt to keep um, work and play separate to an extent Um, obviously that can spill over into real life especially for advocacy purposes but definitely um, 
I think it's a responsibility for us as clinicians to also know when to leave our work at the door as best we can, because um, otherwise we're just going to get burnt out and not be able to um, fulfill those duties and responsibilities required of us. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very real. And I keep hearing this uh, common thread of advocacy in both your personal and professional work. And I'm wondering if you have any examples of advocacy you've done in your personal life and an example from your professional life, just to kind of hear maybe the difference between the two. This conversation surrounding um, the Black Lives Matter movement and sort of the push to defund police, kind of everything, um, has been a big thing lately for me. Um, I've been behind sort of the Black Lives Matter movement since it really gained more traction in the 2013, 2014. But I've been, you know, putting in my time to try to not only like educate others, share resources and stuff, but I've um, been involved in one of the like kind of Milwaukee groups that are sort of um, providing resources, um, supplies, everything like that to the community um, leaders and activists within the area. I've personally been providing like mental health resources and stuff, um, being able to direct people like, hey, here's a really good like free service or hey, these people are, um, you know, doing some pro bono work kind of thing. I've been doing a lot of that lately. Um, I've been out to protest myself a couple times. One and one aspect of the advocacy I've been doing, also like making those calls, writing those letters, super important. I can't stress that enough. Um, and then professionally, I would say a uh, big one recently was I participated in the Wisconsin Counseling Association Day of Advocacy. So it's where we um, beforehand we kind of meet as a group, talk about you know the talking points. And things we are focusing on right now to get across to um, the sort of um, representatives, senators, everything like that. Um, and we got to meet with the ones for our specific district and sort of kind of go over some of those talking points. Um, you know, for example, specifically this year, it was like creating more um, ways that people can get to counselors or mental health service professionals, um, whether that be like public transport, you know, some sort of like ride share that's, you know, free. Um, I guess those are some examples of advocacy that I've recently done. At least sounds like advocacy work for you revolves around being a resource and having resources. Mm -hmm. And especially, you know, in our position of being educated white women, I think it's super easy to look past the access to resources that we've had because we've been given a lot and perhaps even taken a lot. I know for my own personal experience, I've taken a lot of resources for granted, such as being at a school that offers a free school counselor and things mm -hmm. like that. And how, how do we provide resources and encourage communities to participate in those resources, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. And it makes me wonder um, the intersection that we're at of 
mental health and social justice. And I know there's a lot of different offshoots that can happen with those two. And I'm just kind of curious of what maybe comes to your mind first when you hear about that intersection of social justice and mental health. A couple different things come to mind, of course, like our professional um, responsibility for social justice as mental health providers, but then professionals who are well educated and aware of, you know, cultural and social like differences, sort of that, you know, um, the different privileges and stuff, not only that we ourselves have and how that would affect some of our um, clients and all that, but also how it affects obviously their own day-to-day life, you know, um, pandemic aside, which is a whole nother thing where I'm like, yeah, there's going to be a, a huge need now for even more with the way this is affecting people. Um, advocacy is hard work. It can be very tiring. Um, especially like political, um, activism and advocacy can be exhausting. And it's not only our responsibility to sort of provide those resources, like you said, um, to just be aware of how difficult it is for people, like kind of, I guess I'll say like on the front lines in this case, especially those like community leaders and activists, it's gonna be a big thing for us to continue to educate ourselves, um, but also to reach out to kind of everyone involved in the different movements right now and see, you know, like, hey, is there anything I can provide professionally for you kind of thing? Um, that was really long-winded, but. <laughs> I think I think it's appropriately winded considering how <laughs> complex, you know, it's just right. funny when you say in, intersection, there are two different fields in our mind because of how we compartmentalize things, but it's really a huge roundabout in mm-hmm. my mind if we were to speak visually because there's so many directions that you can take it and I think that you touched on a lot of those and when I hear the people on the front lines I'm thinking black bodies and I'm always wondering mm-hmm. how as a, a white woman professional can show up for those people um, offer services maybe that mm-hmm. aren't even my own and if they are my own I'm curious how you would approach somebody um, sitting across from you that has completely different lived experiences? You know, I think I found the most important thing is to obviously never talk over them, never make assumptions. Um, it's of course important to be like culturally sensitive and knowledgeable you know we take these like multicultural counseling um courses for a reason but i think it's super important to still ask and to just yeah really i think to sum it up the most important thing in my experience is to be open-minded to not make assumptions um and to just Treat them like you would any other client, but being mindful of those cultural, social, economic, racial, ethnic differences, you know, for every client we have. When you're sitting with them in the room, 
creating a safe space is a felt <laughs> sense, yeah. right? It's something that's kind of vibrationally, not verbally, mm-hmm. especially. And it's really hard to put words to. I think yeah. that that was the way the conversation was going. And then we hit a certain spot where it boils down to how you make someone feel, how you make the person sitting yep. in from you feel. And approaching clients with curiosity sounds like the best approach. And it's not putting the burden of information on them to educate you it's giving them the opportunity to explore the space and have the control to define things on their terms, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, that's a like, perfect way of saying it. And it is confusing, I think, um, when these personal and professional roles meet and bleed into one another. Yeah, it definitely is. There's, you know, it's super important to create that safe space and it's definitely hard to put words into because it's more something you feel um, with the client within those kind of sessions and, you know, just being physically with each other. And it could get complex because at times there was, you know, I had to be very aware of like counter-transference, transference, kind of everything like that. But I, I think I was really lucky and that I had a good supervisor who um, helped me like work through that. And I think also I have to give myself some credit in that I was very aware of when those kind of circumstances would pop up or when I'd start, you know, kind of feeling a certain way. And, you know, I was able to push through that session, you know, still providing the best care I can, um, but just being aware. I think you touched on, you know, one of the main reasons why supervision is so important. They always tell you how important it is. Mm -hmm. And it's not until that exact moment of overwhelm or kind of recognizing where this is a crossroads to maybe a point of being unethical and how much you can relate to a client in that setting. Yeah. and, And the richness of relating to you made a great point of not relating too much to the client, but relating enough to the point where we don't have the solutions and it's not up to us to help or fix anything or even make them feel more comfortable in that moment. But being able to sit there and be like, yeah, no, you know what? That is really messed up. Or Mm -hmm. I can see how challenging that would be. And then in the back of your mind, you're like, because I'm taking out student loans too, you know, or whatever it might be. Yeah, exactly. I think I learned a lot about myself um, throughout the program and like sort of my own shortcomings or kind of like what I need to work on to be a better version, not only of myself, but as a therapist to be able to provide the best services. Yeah. How do you stay open in the face of so many things? How do you stay this supportive, neutral with whatever might come up um, while still acknowledging that we're fully human. You know, I'll tell anyone kind of right now who might still be working towards like their degree, who's like um, thinking about going into counseling kind of thing. Um, Sometimes people will take advantage of that. Um, It will sometimes obviously not be intentional. Um, And other times it is. 
I just want to stress right now the importance of having those like handful of people, whether it be friends, family, obviously supervisors, um, who are going to be supportive. Um, and you know, just who will understand friendship and sort of relationships in general are a two-way street. So you're not always giving, giving, giving. Um, but yeah, I, I guess it's been a difficult thing to navigate, but I found throughout kind of my search that there was a lot of people, there was a lot of job openings, I would say. There was a lot of need for mental health professionals, for counselors, um, what have you. But a lot of the times those listings would say like, we're not accepting LPCIT, you need your full license, you need this, you need this. And obviously that is, you know, their right to, you know, choose. But at the same time, um, you're kind of limiting, um, I guess, really who you might, you know, potentially choose and hire. Um, that's not to say, you know, people who have been in the field for a while, you know, are worse or they're not as educated or they're, you know, but, um, you know, finding people fairly fresh out of college um, with a recent degree, I feel could definitely be favorable for a lot of these places. But I also get, you know, then you have to have someone who can supervise and all of that. But um, yeah, I guess it's difficult because it's like, yeah, they're, they can do that and stuff. You know, that's their right. I think that you brought up something really important, and that is how there's a lot of red tape in this field, and yet you're seeing the demands for mental health professionals, right? Mm-hmm. And you see job openings, you see people in need of quality professionals compared to other jobs that may have different levels of red tape, you know, and we're thinking about safety and emotional mental health safety over physical safety and the requirements Mm -hmm. it takes to become different professionals. Yeah, I think you put it a lot more eloquently than I did. (laughs) But that is essentially, you know, what I was trying to say, like, that red tape is there for a reason, obviously, um, but it can also, to a certain extent, at a certain extent, be inhibiting as well. Yeah, which is, is so exciting about your new job and having a grant from the state and support on a federal level is a lot of front loading work for that private practice or setting to do the grant writing trying to earn funding for it. Um, But then it kind of answers some questions around how do we serve the people who need these services the most, and yet these services are still offered to a really privileged community um, because Mm -hmm. because of fees and and money just can sometimes inherently feel like an opposition to me. I mean, ideally there's, I don't want to say ideally, but realistically um sort of being a contradiction um you know at least that's what I feel like sometimes is like oh I'm a walking contradiction here you know I'm always preaching the importance of mental health 
and how important it is for you know everyone to um if they don't have you know a formal counselor at least have that you know friend family member cohort someone um that you can talk to about these um but i think we're lucky in that i don't want to say be more human but <laughs> we can empathize more in some situations you know people that you can come to an agreement with i guess your clients you know for example i know in some of my classes we talked about like you know what are some other ethical <laughs> key term ethical ways that a client could um quote unquote like pay for a session if they weren't able to afford us we have to get comfortable with the unknown and understanding that not everyone is going to be that textbook example that textbook uh case study but then it gets thrown into this very like black and white system and it can almost be disheartening discouraging and um exhausting but i mean i would say within myself when i kind of feel that way of like oh my gosh there's no winning kind of thing at least in terms of these boundaries and things that are set within you know this rigid healthcare system to just kind of remember why you chose to do this in the first place is really what kind of keeps me going because there have been times where it's like you're advocating for a client or their services a client needs and you're hit with every wall in the way um and you you just kind of want to throw your hands up and say you know whatever to just yeah i guess always kind of remind yourself like why am i doing this what motivated me in the first place what continues to motivate me because this is you know hard work <laughs> you know point blank it's hard work it's rewarding work but it's hard here's to advocacy being a resource and being human Thanks so much to Danielle Newman for being a guest on this episode and to you, the listener, for sticking around. Hope you tune in next episode.